if you view them as objects and feel nothing for them and can sleep at night having killed someone, that's what makes someone a killer. Videotapes were made and I described what was recorded in the transcripts. So people get can really get like a 3D model of what this guy was like. You know, their work record is ch checkered by like const constantly quitting and being fired. And they don't live in one town for long, even though even if they weren't committing the crimes at the time, they would constantly move around. And there's something about their brains that makes it hard for them to stay focused on one thing for a long time. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm going to be interviewing um, someone who's got his own YouTube channel. He's, it's called uh, Human Monsters, and uh, his name is Morgan Richter, and the name of his podcast is Human Monsters, but I'll let him explain exactly where to find it on YouTube. It's under a different name on YouTube. The channel it, that it's listed under is called Leader One Studios, because not everything I publish there is a Human Monsters episode. So, uh, Morgan, can I ask you first, like... Um, like what, what got you into that? What's your background? Like, where were you, where were you raised? And, you know, what got you into, you know, this, this, you know, field of, should I, I'm going to say field of in, endeavor. Well, um, I didn't have a background in crime or law enforcement. Um, I grew up, I'm, I live in Canada, born and raised here. Um, but, you know, I guess cr you could say crime touched my life because, I had a stepfather who was a sex offender, um, and that affected my life in, in terms of us having to move a few times because he'd keep reoffending. Um, but aside from that, uh, yeah, there was also abuse in my life. So it's you know that it's a strange juxtaposition as a child to know about how things are supposed to work in the world as it pertains to the treatment of children, um, how families are supposed to work. But yet, you know that what's going on in your life is so contrasts so sharply and that what you're experiencing is so deeply fundamentally wrong. Right. Um, so it's, I guess, keeping that in mind, it is, it has been hard for me to turn away from what's considered taboo, uh, what's illegal, like I've always been aware of the dark side of humanity and uh, as in terms of how it surrounds us and affects our lives, um, you know, criminals, I once had this insight, criminals kind of, they kind of run our lives in the sense that you wouldn't have locks on your doors. If it weren't for criminals, we go to extraordinary lengths to protect ourselves from crime. So it's not something we can completely turn our backs on. People move, people move to the suburbs to protect their children from those elements, even though sometimes they find their ways out their way out there anyway. Um, inter, but you know, in terms of becoming a true crime enthusiast, there have been times in my life when I took an interest in various areas of crime, like street gangs or um, biker gangs, the Italian mafia, serial killers. So. Um, I've always been fascinated by the taboo and certainly you, you encounter a lot of taboo behavior in studies of true crime and coverage of true crime. So that's, that's where it comes from. And, and then, you know, my desire to start a podcast just came from 
being a listener of podcasts and wanting to get involved in those. So that's how it came together. I was aware true crime had become a very popular topic. In fact, I think it's the most popular topic in true crime uh, in terms of podcasts now. So, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's one of the top ones. Like It's like movies, television, and then true crime, I think. So. Um, okay. So, I mean, I knew it was popular. I didn't realize it was one of the most uh, popular. But um, so when did you start the podcast? I, I started that in, I think it was March 2019. So I've been doing it for about three years now. And um, yeah, it's been growing quite a bit. It's like, it's gotten like two to three million downloads and then something like another three to four million views on YouTube. So it's grown exponentially. Um, yeah, that like that was the first thing I ever did that really attracted an audience was true crime. Like, Within days, you know, hundreds of downloads, thousands. It just keeps growing. Yeah. All right. What was the first? What was the first? Um, what was the first case you kind of covered? The case was about a, a family, a Canadian family called the Goler clan. Uh, they lived. They're actually from my home province in Nova Scotia, and they lived out in the backwoods. So you could say there were hillbillies, um, and there was just generations of of uh, the sexual abuse of children, inbreeding, uh, a lot of those classic stereotypes of people who live in areas like that, but it actually happened. And so it was, uh, it was about that case. And that's, that's actually kind of a classic of the show too. So a lot of people are pretty shocked by uh, the material in that episode. Right. Do you, do you ever watch um, Soft White Underbelly? I haven't seen that one, but I know about it. I've seen the title. Yeah, he he um, guys named Mark Leda and he uh, he typically interviews, let's say, you know, homeless people and um, people oh, with drug yeah. problems. But he also did an inbred family called the Whitakers. Yeah, yes, I, I did see that. I remember now. Yeah, man, but that one guy, one guy who like communicates and barks. barks. Yeah, it's disturbing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of those videos. And there was a woman who. um basically trafficked her own son who was a little boy at the time. And uh, yeah, he, well, I mean, I admire that he's fearless. He'll interview anybody. He'll interview yeah. like a lot of people would say, you know, don't interview someone from the KKK. I would interview anybody. I wouldn't. Yeah. You know? I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, to me, the problem with, Oh, don't, don't give that person a platform. Like to me, that's, that's, that is, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's freedom of speech. Like, you know, you're, you're censoring something. It's like, look, if you don't want to watch it, like, don't watch it. Yeah. Right. But be upset because you're putting it on your channel. Like I'm upset that you would even show, okay, well, you know, get over it. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to watch. Like that's your protest against this is I'm going to turn the channel. Boycott it. Yeah. That's a right. simple bit. Yeah. I don't understand that anymore. And I don't think people are such mindless sheep that they're just going to believe everything that someone says um like i remember back in the day in the 80s and 90s on daytime talk shows the kkk would appear quite regularly like the famous geraldo episode where they got into a big fight and people were throwing chairs and everything and right but that didn't that didn't result in like a huge uptake uptick in the you know neo-nazi membership right. people people would be outraged but ultimately you know, it doesn't make any long lasting impact. 
And well, it's uh, good you know. to see that. It's good to see that stuff and know it exists and yeah. know what it's about. And, and now you have an, you can make an educated decision based on it. But yeah, there was an excellent documentary called Accidental Courtesy. I don't remember if you heard about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's about a, a man. He's, he's not. And decided to do was befriend members of the KKK. And they weren't all amenable to it. But many of the ones that did meet with him ended up leaving the clan because he would actually sit them down and very non-judgmentally just let them have their say, just ask them where they're coming from, explain how they got into it. And a lot of these people had never actually got together with a black person. They never met a black person. They never knew one. And so he's made all this positive change kind of on uh, the micro level, but you know, it's a, you know, it's important to have these dialogues, I think. Right. I was just saying, just to have a, just by having a discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, people are so tribal these days that they often don't want to even allow that to happen. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I would always say polarized, but yeah, tribal is good. Um, so what, all right. So what do you, like, what, what are the episodes that have been on your podcast that you, you know, that you, you, that stand out to you that you really enjoyed? Well, one was uh, about a Canadian serial killer and rapist named Paul Bernardo. He's one of our most notorious criminals. Um, and then it's one of the most graphic episodes because he videotaped some of, some of his, um, well, he tortured these girls. He killed them. He raped them. And uh, so videotapes were made and, I described what was recorded in the transcripts so people get can really get like a 3D model of what this guy was like. How, did, he, you know, did he have a partner? Yeah, he was married and uh, to a woman named Carla Homoka. And actually, people hate her more because she had an opportunity to stop it. She was his accomplice. She had three opportunities to save a life, and she didn't take any of them. She served her own sister up to him. So, I mean, and it, it, it really is true. He wouldn't, have been, he wouldn't have been able to commit murder or the sex slavery uh, crimes without her. So she really enabled it all. Yeah, so, I think I saw this. I think I saw a documentary on this. Yeah, so before he met her, he was, he was just a common rapist. But uh, it was through her that he was able to cross the line into murder, in, into kidnapping. Yeah. Weren't they, they were like a really good-looking couple? Yeah, they, yeah, it's like they, they called them the Ken and Barbie uh, killers because they were both these blonde people. And, um, you know, they were, I guess, by late 80s standards, they were considered beautiful and, you know, had had their lives in front of them. And yet, uh, you know, you never know what kind of secrets people are hiding. Right. So whatever what happened to them? Well, he's in he's in prison. He's ne- he was actually eligible for parole a couple of years ago, but it was denied because he was declared a dangerous offender, which in the Canadian legal system means you're highly unlikely to ever be released. That's an official legal designation. And uh, on top of that, I mean, there's no way to knowing if he can be trusted on the streets again. So he's never getting out. She took a plea deal. So she got out after 12 years, which a lot of people were angry about. Um, So, yeah. She's she moved to Quebec where the case was not followed as much. So, yeah, she's 
and she volunteers uh, at her children's school, which also pissed a lot of people off because three of the, the three girls who were murdered were all minors, 14 and 15 years old. So, yeah. He's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious. Vaccines have been created for it. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. She's not a popular lady. No. Uh, are there any other ones that you could think of? Uh, so what else? Uh, there was also, uh, yeah, a lot of the child abuse cases tend to really rattle people. Um, the one one case that still haunts me that gives me flashbacks quite a bit. It I mean, it started out as child abuse, but this girl was kept prisoner in a house in London, England, by this Pakistani Muslim fundamentalist, and he beat her and raped her and just tortured her in every possible way for like twelve or thirteen years, and just the things he did to her were so horrific. That uh, even to this day, like, you know, I get flashbacks and it's, I wondered if I might have given myself some, some amount of PTSD, PTSD just by doing the case, you know. Um, and that's something that cops go through a lot because they, a lot of them are kind of hard boiled, but still they're exposed to a lot of really disturbing things. And if you've got a moral compass at all, it's hard not to be affected by in the long term. Right. What happened to the girl? Uh, she managed to escape. She just occasionally they would bring her out because um, they wanted to take her to Pakistan. Uh, and she she had she had a feeling like she might be trafficked there, like that would be the end for her um, or maybe she'd be murdered. So she managed when she went, they took her to get a passport. She managed to like slip a note to somebody and a social worker helped her to escape. Um so, yeah, she was lucky that way. Otherwise, who knows? She might have ended up dead because they have a really, really serious issue in Pakistan with violence against women. Thousands of women are murdered by their own husbands there. They don't domestic violence is not part of the criminal code in Pakistan. They consider it like a private domestic issue. The police will not respond to those calls. Uh, and of course, the honor killings, the acid attacks. So she was a victim of a man who came from that culture and sort of carried on that paradigm of violence with her. Yeah. Okay. How, how long are the episodes? Um, they vary. Um, some of them are a little less than an hour, but I've probably, well, the Bernardo one was over four hours. Um, what I think maybe the longest one was over five hours. That's the BTK killer, Dennis Rader. Right. It was like a lot of, there was like a long recording of his trial. Yeah. So they vary, you know, but uh, I mean, the thing about podcasts is that ultimately people don't want to listen to short episodes. I've learned uh, if it's a, if it's a half hour or less, I find people are less likely to tune in. They want, they want to just press play and, and, you know, do whatever it is they're doing, driving, working out, uh, I don't know, walking somewhere, they, they, they just want to let go and listen. So 
yeah, I think the people I would say definitely expect longer episodes. So you played the BTK, um, you played the BTK uh, trial or the recording from the trial? Yeah, there there was a, so yeah, they videotaped the trial. Was, I think they do every trial now. And um, so there was a part of it where the judge was just asking him to confirm things that, that had been found through evidence and confessions. And so, yeah, I included that whenever that kind of stuff is available, I do it, but uh, it's not always available because so many criminals will take a plea deal to avoid serving more time or avoid the death penalty. So in that case, if, if they do take a plea deal, there's not usually much in the way of confessions or cross examinations. They just do, you know, prosecuting attorneys usually just, when they want to get that plea deal and get it out of the way, because uh, if it goes to trial, that ends up being more damaging. So what's the what is the um, what's the most who is the most like notorious criminal in Canadian history that you've gone over? Yeah, Bernardo, I would probably say is number one. Um, there's also a gentleman named uh, Clifford Olson. He. He murdered and sexually abused a bunch of uh, children and teenagers back in the 80s. So he he's pretty much universally despised, I would say. Uh, there was this pedophile, Peter Whitmore. He didn't kill any kids, but he was it was an interesting study because he was such he was an unrepentant pedophile. He in prison, he would offer inmates money if he could buy their photos of their children uh, he even remarked to somebody like, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll put me in jail for a couple of years. And then when I get out, all I need is two weeks. And what he meant was all I need is two weeks to get out there and find a child. Like he just, he didn't care. He was no remorse. Um, he would do it as much as, you know, he, he wouldn't let the system stop him to the, you know, if, if he could get any leeway, he'd do it. So in, in Florida now, well, not Florida, sorry, in uh, the United States, uh, they now have, if they lock up a pedophile, they can, or a sex offender, they can put a community, vi community, what do they call it, community violation or community violation something on, on them, like a, um, to where they, they, won't, they don't have to let them out. Oh, is that right? So, yeah. So you end up with five years and then they just decide, you know what? No, we're not going to let us out. Um, it's a community protection order or something. I forget. And they basically, because now they make them go through with like, there's a program they have to go through. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, so what do you think? So what do you think drives criminals? I mean, you've done a bunch of cases. You've looked them over. What is there's like 400 videos on your, yeah. on your, there's like 400 videos. So what, what is the, what do you think? Um, the, is there a common denominator? Is it like, what's dry? What do you think drives these guys? Well, you know, neurologists, neurologists have analyzed the brains of criminals, uh, violent criminals, particularly, and they have found there's abnormalities. Um, sometimes it's a matter of having a uh, poor impulse control. Um, it's interesting because one thing they found was kind of with many of these people, there's a there's a history of um, irresolution, like in terms of 
you know, their work record is checkered by like constantly quitting and being fired. And they don't live in one town for long, even though even if they weren't committing the crimes at the time, they would constantly move around. And there's something about their brains that makes it hard for them to stay focused on one thing for a long time. Uh, While there are a couple of exceptions, it seems kind of rare when they've gotten married and had kids and had that kind of stable life. There's some kind of restlessness involved where, um, yeah, so it's just, I guess, and I guess that affects their sense of morality. They can't just choose a moral position and stay with it. Their brains are so uh, malleable and uh, open to really terrible ideas. Um, You know, but I mean, sometimes it's, it's affected by upbringing. Like a lot of pedophiles were abused as children. Um, but in terms of murder, uh, one thing I found, a lot of them are just born that way. Like Jeffrey Dahmer was a ticking time bomb. If you know anything about his childhood, he became obsessed with, you know, animal bones and bones and gore in general. And as a young teenager, he he was already troubled by these disconcerting fantasies of killing men and, and you know, mutilating them and. So yeah, it's uh, you know, it's there was it's, never it's anything. Nature. They never found anything specific in his background that might attribute. They could have attributed that. And well, like, I, mean, I don't know. He, his parents fought a little bit, but you know, lots of parent, lots of people's parents fought, right? right. Uh, his, and his brother didn't become a serial killer. Um, right. So I don't think his parents were to blame. You know, I I really think he was just an abnormal person. Um, it's, it's interesting, uh, but yeah, with, as far as the sex offenders go, actually mentioning, going back to Florida for a moment, there's a whole trailer park where it's just convicted sex offenders. I know. The whole place is, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and actually, well, see a lot of them, a lot of pedophiles are in Florida. Actually, it's a weird thing. Uh, there's a great documentary on YouTube called incest, a family tragedy, and, uh, it's produced by people produced are in Florida and it's really jarring actually, because there's a sequence where they brought together this group of pedophiles. They have offended, but they're committed to uh, staying, you know, keeping clean, uh, never reoffending. And uh, so he got these guys to open up and talk about their crimes in very frank ways. And it's really surreal and disturbing to just hear them, describe them in disaffected ways you know i abused him i did this and that so i'd recommend that documentary if that's something people find interesting yeah i I, you know i've i've because i was locked up in coleman uh, i was locked up or coleman federal prison which is about an hour north of tampa uh i was locked up in the medium and there weren't really any sex offenders in the medium there were very there were very few and those that were there primarily stayed in the unit in this one unit they had for them. Um, They didn't mix with the other inmates, but in the low security prison, there were multiple, I mean, there was, there was hundreds of them and they would, you know, pretty freely talk about. So remember, I remember they used to, they used to call it uh, cheese pizza or CP child pornography. They would, you know, and they would openly talk about it. I remember this, you know, and it, I remember there was this one guy who was a German and he had been talking on the Internet to what he thought was like a 12 year old 
you know, 14 year old boy. And he, this guy actually in, from Germany, he got on an airplane, flew all the way to the United States to meet with this kid who he'd been corresponding with for, you know, a month or so. And they arrested him in the airport and they, he ended up getting 25 years. And of course, his, wow. his whole argument was this isn't illegal in my country. And the United States was, they didn't care. And then when they, he reached out, of course, he reached out to the German, uh, you know, embassy and to the German authorities, and they were unwilling to help him. Even though what he had done wasn't illegal in their country, he was like, yeah, but you were talking to a minor in the United States and you flew to the United States. Um, But these guys would openly, you know, a lot of these guys would openly talk about it, you know, and they, they would argue, oh, well, you know, in Rome, in, in, you know, Rome, uh, Roman senators and Roman, the aristocrat would take young boys and, and they was very common. I mean, he, they just, they would try and justify it in in their mind. It's like, yeah, well, you're not in Rome. So, um, you know, so it would, uh, but yeah, it was definitely, and, and you could tell, like, they all had a certain look. They all had, it was, they were, they were an odd bunch. Uh, yeah. Well, I remember reading one thing is that they're kind of childlike themselves. Um, low self-esteem is common. Um, I think because since a lot of them were abused as children, they say it's it's like they fro- they're frozen in time sexually. Right. It stunted them at that. Like if they were, you were a nine year old and you were abused, then it kind of stunts you sexually as a as a, a mentally and your sexual interest now is more attached to children around that age, nine, 10 years old. So because you were abused as a nine or 10 year old and I always feel bad for them, but you know, you can feel bad for them, but doesn't mean you get to let them roam the countryside. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, the thing, one of the worst things about abuse, especially if it was recurring uh, is that, the abuser will find a way to normalize it in the child's mind. And that's, that distorts the child's sense of morality, which is why some, because if they think it's normal, if they got accustomed to, to experiencing it, then they could just assume, well, you know, I'm a victim now, but then somebody else will be a victim. Um, And it's the same thing with physical abuse of children. A lot of people who were beaten as children end up beating their kids it's uh, it's hard to unlearn. It can be hard to unlearn these things if that's the way you were raised. Right. So what about how do you I mean, that's we were talking about, you know, um, you know, pedophiles. But how what do you think? So what do you think uh, criminals like, you know, as far as like crime, you know, violent crime and. Well, you know, you know see, the thing about killing people is that it's not the homicidal urge alone that makes people do that. It's uh, an inability to feel empathy, remorse, and, uh, you know, and also a a fearlessness when it comes to legal prosecution. Um, Because otherwise, I remember reading the results of a poll that said, you know, when asking people, you know, under anonymous circumstances, if they've ever had a homicidal fantasy, over 90% of them said yes. But why don't, why haven't all those people followed through on it? Well, you know, it's one thing to, to hate someone and want to kill them, but to actually do it, well, you know, it's like they, st- you, you probably wouldn't be able to, maybe, well, I mean, one thing, you don't want to go to jail, but also 
it's easy to, to feel that way, but to actually do it, that's a whole different matter whatsoever. Uh, you still have humanity in you. They still have humanity in them. So we don't cross that bridge. But if you, if you don't feel, if you, if you feel, feel, if you feel people as, um, if you view them as objects and feel nothing for them and can sleep at night having killed someone, that's what makes someone a killer. That's the difference. Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. Yeah. Right. Like I've been watching the Sopranos again. I think it's like the third or fourth time I watched the whole series. And I mean, it deals with people who, you know, there's one scene where Tony Soprano's father is shown in flashback, cuts a guy's pinky finger off because he didn't pay him the money he owed him. And uh, it's like I couldn't I couldn't imagine living my life knowing I did that to somebody. Right. But if you're a sociopath who doesn't feel remorse about it, if you love money more than uh, you, you have, you know, if your greed is, is stronger than your ability to feel compassion, then you can do that. So do you ever watch, um, uh, is it Ozarks? I haven't seen that one, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Oh man. You got to watch that. Um, what was the other, uh, what about you? Did you ever hurt you? I haven't seen that one. No. My, I mean, you've got to watch you have to watch you like it's it's this guy that you genuinely feel it's kind of like dexter where you only it's this guy much so uh his name is his character's name is joe i forget the last name but you you just like him yet he's stalking he stalks women eventually he sometimes he has uh, relationships with them and he ends up killing them but you and you genuinely feel for him. You want him to get away with it, even though you're like, what do you know what he did was wrong? And and, and the women like you genuinely like the women like mm -hmm. you like both characters and he ends up killing her and disposing of the body. And you kind of like rooting for him to get away with it, even though it's like you just murdered somebody. Yeah, I've always liked the antihero, like in Breaking Bad, his uh, right. Walter White's wife, Skylar, she's we don't like her because of the way the show's written, but yet she's not wrong to feel the way she does. She's been lied right. to uh, crim other criminals have come around their house, putting them in danger. Um, so she's not wrong to feel the way she does, but because we like him, we kind of start to feel like she's kind of a meddlesome shrew. Yeah. Um, you don't want her giving him a hard time because he's your yeah. favorite. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, in real life, I wouldn't, take his side i mean you, you know you play with fire you get involved in in drugs you're going to attract really terrible people into your life so that's part of the deal you know there's a lot of, uh not a lot of nice people in crime that's for sure right so how, how often do you put out a video uh i put one out i put uh, put them out once a week that's right. my schedule because i write because unlike a lot of podcasts where it's two people who have notes in front of them and they talk about it. I just, I write a script and uh, or read the script aloud and that takes a few days to write. So 
Right. Where are you getting your information for the videos? Well, the best research research sources are, are books. So, you know, I get the information from there. I'm not plagiarizing them. I just, you know, sum it up and write a script in my own words. Um, because otherwise, you know, a lot of articles online are not always accurate or, um, or, or news article may have been updated. And then there are cases that took place, like the one I'm working on right now, took place in the 1800s. So there's not a lot of information sources for that. Some of these videos have like, there are hundreds of thousands of. Yeah. Got like half a million views, you know, some like these are. I mean, I definitely need to check this out. Um, you've got 27, over 27,000 subscribers. Um, yeah, this is, oh yeah. Incest. <laughs> <laughs> Kids who kill. Yeah. There's been a few of those cases. Yeah. You seen that? And that's, that's another, um, so that's more support for the nature versus nurture debate for the, uh, for the na nature debate. Cause there are kids that, uh, have those tendencies too and i mean it's you know when we were growing up we knew kids who were violent who bullied other kids and and uh so I, yeah i think that that part of human nature is inborn with some people okay so what's what's your goal for the channel well you know just keep growing keep attracting more listeners um I don't know. Sometimes I worry, like, am I going, am I always going to be able to find good cases? But ultimately there's no, there's no end to, uh, no crime. Uh, there's, no. there's not never going to be a lack of serial killers or, uh, pedophiles or any of these people who do terrible things. I mean, it's like the FBI says at any given moment, I think there's over a hundred active serial killers. Um, cause I think they've gotten smarter about it since, you know, you can read true crime books and find out how some of these guys have gotten careless, like murdering people, and leaving them out, you know, in the middle of a football field or something, you know. So now I guess they're just being more careful in terms of getting rid of bodies and taking into consideration DNA evidence. So they may be harder to arrest now. I'm I'm actually supposed to interview someone who's got a database who works on a database. It's a, you know, uh, it's. You know the the there's a story called um, man, uh, is it Manhunter, Mindhunter, Mindhunter. That's mm -hmm. right, Mindhunter. Uh, and I'm actually supposed to interview a guy that actually works on a database that's based on that where he works in conjunction with one of the people that the characters the the female psychologist in that whole thing that uh, that series is based on. And they've got a like a massive database on serial killers. I forget the name of the university that runs it, but it's it's you know I'm, I'm supposed to talk to him, and it's that seems really interesting. Yeah, speaking of databases, uh, we were talking about Florida sex offenders earlier. Well, I mean, I look I once looked at a, a PDF of a sex offender registry, and it was just it was just one district, not the whole country, one district, and. It went, it went on so long that I realized if I keep reading this, I could be here for hours. It was mm -hmm. just, there must've been hundreds of pages. Um, and a lot of these guys end up like just disappearing, which they're not supposed to do. They're supposed to, to uh, notify authorities when they move somewhere. So um, 
So that's that's a big problem too. But yeah, this is just I don't know. I mean, I have a, I have a feeling that ch- sexual abuse of children has probably been around since before recorded history. I don't know why it exists. There's nothing practical about it, but it seems to me like it's probably always been around. It just right. wasn't always talked about because there was a time when people just didn't talk about sexual matters at all. But um yeah, it's always been around, I think. Well, uh, God, what was the case? It, well, there was a case where there was two guys. Initially, when you were talking about the uh, husband-wife team in uh, in Canada, I it, I was at first thought you were talking about there was a there was a guy there was there were two guys that were working in conjunction with each other, and they were kidnapping uh, women, and they were keeping them alive for weeks or months and you know and they were videoing it oh i wonder if you're thinking of um leonard lake and charles ing one of them was yes yeah absolutely yes yes um yeah and then they kept like uh the 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 one the guys was guy he had he built like a like a a cell or something remember then they killed oh yeah they one of the women had they kept kidnapped her and her child and they killed the the child and have you done that one? I did do that case, yeah. Really? Yeah, those guys were pretty fucked up. It's amazing how sometimes people find their that person that they click with and they bring out the worst in each other. Imagine like uh, you bump what is what's the likelihood you bump into another guy that's a serial killer? Oh, you too? <laughs> or or even worse, um in England the murder of a a little boy named James Bulger. He was, I think, three years old, and he was murdered by two 10-year-old boys. These boys just, when they got together, they brought out their worst tendencies and together killed this child. And it's, it's a really odd case. And I think I've heard yeah. of that one, too. I want to say, didn't they leave his body somewhere? They left it on, the, on train tracks. A train rolled over him and cut the body in half. Ugh. They... Um, it's chilling too because there's security camera footage from when they led the child away in a shopping mall, and you're just watching it and knowing what happens. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, right. These are this child's last moments. It's yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Mm. Mm. I'm trying to think of any others that you could. Oh man. So, are what are you working on now? The one I'm working on right now is a, it's about a man named. Uh, Boone Helm, he was uh, a murderer and cannibal during uh, in the 1800s during the gold rush. And uh, so he, this guy, he didn't have the kind of survival skills you need to, to, uh, to, to, you know, to venture, to travel throughout the wilderness. Cause I mean, that's hard now, but back then they didn't have all the equipment we have nowadays. And so he resorted to, um, killing people he traveled with and eating them. Uh, and, uh, and actually that was, that was a pivotal moment in his life. Cause he just thought, well, I'm not, he didn't feel any remorse about it. So he didn't hesitate to kill anyone who displeased him after that. Um, so yeah, they, my, my listeners, they like the really extreme stuff, the, the necrophilia, the cannibalism. Um, yeah. Serial murder, child abuse. Cause I've done things that, that were a little, I shouldn't say lighter, but didn't involve crimes that gruesome, 
like the John Gotti episode. I mean, it seems to have gotten a good response, but you know, guys in the mob, they just shoot people. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely prefer the cases where the criminals just uh, do really vile things like this British serial killer, Dennis Nelson. He killed, he, he was gay. He killed guys. He would, uh, have sex with the corpses and dismember them and um, they love all that stuff they keep tuning in for it because <laughs> and I go I go much further than most podcasts do I uh, reveal a lot of details that some people that are too much for some people but the ones who like the show they can't get enough so so you know the you know um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, that's based on a guy. Ed really, Gein. What, what's his name? His name is Ed Gein. He, yeah, he would. He, he was a grave robber, and he would take people's body parts and make things out of them, like uh, a belt made of nipples. Uh, there was like I think it was a lampshade, clothing, and I think he might have made a mask too. Um, yeah, he he inspired a few people from fiction. Actually, I think yeah, that, Bates. Um, yeah. and, uh, Norman Bates, yeah, Norman Bates, and uh, Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs because of the skins, him wearing yeah. women's skins. Um, yeah, I did an episode about him. Yeah, I've done a few of the big serial killers. Uh, Ted Bundy, I, I did an episode about him. Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, these- there's lots of lots of stuff on those guys, like the that, like I, I the the guy from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like when I saw it, like there's not a whole bunch of stuff on him. Not, not a ton. No, but uh, he is on the Mount Rush. Well, thing is he only murdered like one or two people, but it was mostly the grave robbing that freaked everybody out. Right. Um, he, um, but yeah, there's, there's people who were on that. Yeah. They're on the Mount Rushmore and I've covered most of them, but, uh, but at the same time, I know the listeners that pretty much learned everything there is to know about them. So I tend to gravitate on lesser known cases. Right. Yeah. That's what, when I, 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 when I write, I've written a bunch of stories and I, I tend to focus on more unique, you know, like if it's a, a drug story, then it needs to be something needs to be extremely unique about that drug story. Cause there's lots of drug stories. Yeah. I did one about uh, Griselda Blanco who was a, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was like, they called her the queen of cocaine because she became a billionaire in Miami from uh, importing it from Colombia during, well, during the Scarface days, right? 70s yeah. and 80s, yep. Cocaine cowboys. Yep, she was, yep, she was part of that group. And uh, yeah, I've, I, yeah, maybe one day I'll do like an episode about the cartels because, I mean, that's. Oh, they've done horrendous things. Oh, yeah, they're cold. They'll, they'll kill people's children. Uh, I saw that that series Narcos on uh, Netflix. That's really good. But, yeah. Um, mm. Did you um, meet any uh, mass uh, murderers in prison? People who killed more than one person, or I, you know, it's. I mean, I did, and it, what's it's funny because at the time, you know, like I now I wish I'd gone back and actually had written names down and taken notes and figured out who these people were, but. These were just, you know, at that time, the, when, this was when I was in the medium security prison. Uh, I, I genuinely was just kind of trying. It was everything I could do to just get myself through the day without, you know, 
you know, trying to figure out how to kill myself. Like I was so just depressed at the time. Yeah. But I do remember this one guy. What? Um, they called him something like old man. Oh, old man, Ron, old man, Ron. And old man, Ron was just the nicest guy. Right. He painted all the time. Uh, walked, you know, had a horrible walk. His knees were shot and he was probably in his late six or probably seven in his probably 70, early seventies, maybe. And, but just super nice, always willing to help. Um, always just, just a nice guy. And I remember, one of the other guys I was walking back to like the unit or something after being in the paint in the paint studio with, and with them. And, uh, he said, uh, you like old, old man, Ron, don't you? And I go, yeah. I said, he's a, he's a good guy. He goes, yeah, he, he, he's a nice guy. He said, but you know, I want to let you keep, want you to keep something in mind. I was like, okay. Cause I knew he was in prison for drugs. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, you know why he's here, right? And I was like, drug? I go, yeah, it's like a drug case, right? He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, so he was like a member of some biker club in his 20s. And this was back in like the 19, you know, 70s. I was like, okay. And he said, uh, so there had been a, like there was a murder. And so the like, and I forget, some county in, in Florida had locked him up for the murder. And there was, let's say, seven people that were that had been witness to the murder. And back in the 70s, it wasn't that hard to escape. So he uh, old man, Ron, he escaped. And over the course of the next year, he hunted down. And found, so there was when, so he was going to go to trial. Let's go back. He was going to go to trial. And like a week or two weeks before the trial, they give you the witness list. He got the witness list and then he escapes from the county jail. And over the next year, he hunts down all of these people and kills them. He then like literally like a couple days after the last person disappeared. He then walks back in the front of the county jail and says, hey, I escaped from here about a year ago. I need to turn myself in. They were like, okay. So they turn him in and then they restart the process of him going to trial. And it it gets pushed back, you know, a few months. And so in a few months, they realize they're having a hard time locating the witnesses. And then they, they find out, you know, back in the 70s. So now you track down this one witness. He doesn't live there anymore. We don't know where he lives. And this other guy, well, you know, his wife says, I don't know what happened to him. He just one day disappeared. And then another person they find, uh, they found out that he, he, his body was found, uh, you know, he got shot twice. And then somebody else's, uh, they were, you know, their head was cut off. And then, and so he's this guy, uh, DeGeronimo. I remember the guy who told me this, his name was Mike DeGeronimo. Mike told me all this and I go, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. So he seems like a nice guy. He said, but he had been already been to trial in the state of Florida several times on murders and always gotten off. He said, so they dropped the charge because the state of state of Florida is like, we can't find the witnesses. So they have to drop the charges and old man Ron walks out of jail. Well, what happened was eventually like the DEA ends up setting him up on a drug buy. And he ends up getting like 15 or 20 years or something. 
And so he ends up, you know, he's in, was in federal prison. But I just was like, they were like, you understand, he, he'd already been to state trial multiple times. Like, he was like, that guy has probably killed 20 or 30 people. You know, he just happens to be that the state couldn't get him and the feds, the federal government did. And like, and he was, listen, honestly, super nice guy. Of course, I wasn't a witness against him. Um, so he seemed okay to me. But yeah, there were, there were, there were people in there that had killed two or three people. This guy had killed probably 20, maybe 30. Who knows? There was a guy. Did anybody, another... I was going to say, did anyone ever describe what it's like with the experience of killing someone in his life? Or... No, I mean, I never, because, you know, I stayed away from those guys. Listen, I, I went to Catholic church there, right? The, 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 like the guy that helps the priest, I forget what they, they call him, the um, he was from Mexico or Colombia, didn't speak English, refused to speak English. Um, he, as a teenager, like 17, 18, 19 years old, killed something like 10 or 15 people. He was a hitman for the, for the cartel. They, they grabbed him, arrested him, and then transferred him to the United States to do his time in the United States. Um, there, there have been multiple swaps of inmates from like Colombia and Mexico to the United States because they're like, look, we want to lock this guy up forever, but we're in our prisons. He'll eventually be able to escape. You know, he's going to like, so they'll transfer them and say, you can do your time in the United States. Um, and uh, yeah, so he was, had a life sentence. Uh, he'd killed, I, I don't know how many, whatever, probably 10, 20 people, who knows, as, as a teenager, like as a young kid. But there was multiple people like that. Like I never, you know, I, I, I have a hard time just with violence in general. I'm just not like a violent person. So I don't uh, associate with those guys and I don't really talk to those guys. I don't really, I can't imagine. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about the drug trade too. It does attract violent people as well. Mm -hmm. So they protect their interests and, um, you know, that that's one aspect of breaking bad that was accurate because a lot, a lot of them are going to, sometimes the drug deal goes wrong and people get shot and whatever. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing about like that lifestyle. It's the same thing with prison. Like, you know, guys get stabbed because that's, you know, they get stabbed or beat up or whatever, because, you know, you can't, you can't sue the guy. Yeah. Like there's no recourse. Like your recourse is you grab a, go get a knife and stab this guy. You don't have to kill him. Like a, People get stabbed a lot in prison and, they, and they're not actually trying to kill the person. They're just trying to stab him a few times to let everybody know, hey, he ripped me off and I stabbed him. And now he's got they're moving him or they're moving me. But I, I didn't get taken advantage of. I stabbed people that wronged me out here. You might file, file a lawsuit or call the police. Or you can't do that in prison. So. Well, it's the same thing yeah. in the drug drug world. They can't call the police. They can't sue another drug dealer for ripping them off. What do you do? You blow him up or you shoot him or something. Yeah. The, and apparently I've, I understand the rate of sexual abuse is not as high in prison as the media would have us believe. Like it happens, but not as often as in the show Oz. Yeah. Well, no, because I think that there's, you know, just like out here in the real world, like there are gay people, gay guys in prison. Yeah. And so they're, they're in prison. They, they, 
they either get like a, they call them, you know, war daddies, um, somebody that will protect them or they can be with, or they get a boyfriend or they become almost like a prostitute in there, you know, where they basically prostitute themselves. So like, it's like, oh, well, guys rape other, well, I mean, they do. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm saying it's not the norm. A lot yeah. of these guys just, they'll just, they'll give them a book of stamps or some, some, you know, mackerel or whatever they're trading for whatever they want, buy them a pair of tennis shoes or whatever it is. And, you know, this guy's now this guy's going to hook up with you for so many times or whatever it is. Yeah. There's uh, this footage on YouTube of this serial killer, uh, Richard Speck. He murdered eight nurses. And while he was incarcerated, he became, he made himself a prostitute. He took female hormones. So he developed breasts and uh, yeah, he would pimp himself out. Guys would pay him to have sex with him. And there's footage of him talking about his crimes and sitting beside a guy who was about to have sex with him. And yeah, it's uh, it was that was that was a pretty bizarre episode in the history of American crime. You, you should be able to still check it out if you wanted to look at it. Jeez, but yeah, man. he was just talking about he was talking about how you know oh yeah we we order pizzas in here we. We have lots of fun. If they knew how much fun I was having, they'd be outraged, you know. Well, well, I didn't have a whole bunch of fun, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's listen. The whole thing is bizarre. Just prison in general is such a a, a departure from just reality. Like, uh, it's it's funny, you know. I have people out here who talk about things that they think are problems, and it's like I'm thinking that's not a problem. You know, like you, you, the problem is, is you've been out here that you're, you've been, you know, you have had a privileged life and you've had never had anything happen to you. You never truly had to struggle. So you think that this issue is a huge deal right, right now. But the truth is, that's not a big deal at all. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I joined a group on Facebook, which is about um, people who are who have been in prison or who are currently in prison is apparently they're able to get access to the Internet now. And uh, some guy wrote about how in the kitchen, like they regularly find maggots on the meat in there. Like that, that's how can bad the conditions are. And so the, that's obviously. Well, it depends on the prison. You know, what's funny is a lot of people watch stuff on these TV shows and they think, oh, well, oh, this is how prison is. OK, well, wait a minute. That's a prison in Kentucky. Like a prison in Kentucky, you can't compare to a prison in, you know, Nebraska or and, you know, in Florida or Georgia, like they're, everyone's different. And then there's federal prison. Federal prison's vastly different than, so it really depends on the state, the level of, of custody, you know, you know, wh where is this place? Like, are there places like that? Absolutely. But then there are also places that guys are, you know, guys are mowing yards on the uh, golf course and they're playing tennis and they're, you know, those prisons exist also. And it's, yeah. and they get to rent movies and the food isn't bad. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not great. It's not great. It's it's, but it's not as bad as you could be. So it's it's definitely, you know, it, it's just it's very. Every place is different. Every place is different. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's just if they're publicly funded, the problem they run into is that politicians don't want to increase funding to prisons. That's not something that's going to make you popular because a lot of people feel like to give them as little as possible. Right. Um, but then, the you know, it's like, 
that's true. That's true too. And like, you know, don't we want people to be reformed when they leave prison? We don't want right. recidivism, you know, but a lot of these guys, they get out and, uh, like when you when you were released, did you get a bill for all the expenses that were incurred to incarcerate you? I know a lot of people end up getting that when they're released. No, that's that's more of a state uh, thing, or really a county. A lot of county jails do that. Oh but yeah. No, I was in the federal system. They don't do that. But what they do is, you know, I have a massive. I owe six million dollars in restitution. So if, you know, if they added on, hey, it also cost us. Um, you know, 400,000 to house you for the past 13 years, it'd be like, okay, we'll add that on to the 6 million IO and I'll, I'll make up, I'll, I'll start making payments. Like, I mean, it's not going to change anything. Like, um, are, you, are you allowed to, to pay it off in installments or? Well, yeah, I don't have 6 million. Like I don't have it on yeah. me right now. Yeah. So yeah, I have to be, I'm good for it. Like, um, no, what happens is, and people don't realize that, that they're like, oh, so they take all your money. Well, how would I live if they took all my money? Yeah, like, right. you, you get people that are, are just insane with this. Like, oh, you shouldn't be able to have all money. You should have to turn up. Okay, wait a minute, bro. Like, how do you think I'm going to eat? And how do you think I'm going to pay for my bills? And how do you think I'm going to get a vehicle and get to work? And back? well, that's your problem. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're delusional. So the way it really works is when the judge lays down or when the judge spells out what your, your sentence is, he's like, okay, you, you have to do this much time in prison. You have to do this much time on probation. And while you're on probation, you have to make payments towards your restitution. Now it's $6 million. You can't, obviously you can't pay off $6 million. So a portion of my, every month, a portion of my income goes to pay, goes towards restitution. And that is, it's some people, they say, okay, well, 15% of your, income has to go to pay restitution, you know, you're gross. And then sometimes in mine, mine's more structured. Mine is like a hundred, it's like $150 a month plus 25% of anything I make over $4,000. So sometimes that payment's four, $300 or 400. Sometimes it's $900. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, and then when you're off probation, which I'm all, I have five years of probation when I'm off probation, that whatever's remaining turns into a civil judgment. Now you, they give that to a collection agency that contacts you and says, look, can you make payments on this? And then you work out an agreement to make payments on that. Or you could just say, I'm not going to pay it. You know, there's nothing they can do at that point. Like it's, if I, you've got a $6 million judgment, I'm never paying it off. So why would you continue to make payments on it? When I'll, there will never be a time when that is not on me. Does it matter if it's six million or if it's five hundred nine or five million nine hundred and ninety thousand? Because I've been making payments. Like, so yeah. who knows? There are guys who um, have had to pay restitution, and because they couldn't get a legitimate job, they uh, ended up falling back into crime. So if they sold crack before, they're going to sell crack now. Right. Caught and they go back to jail and then they get released and more restitution. And it's just this never ending cycle of recidivism. So I don't know, as, as, as restitution really paid off. Um, I mean, supposedly it costs like $40,000 a year to house an inmate in prison or jail. 
Um, and it'll actually, a lot of people on the outside don't make that much money, but and part of it's healthcare as well. But uh, right, not that anyone is living it up there. But no, I was gonna say you, you know that's for like the security, the buildings, the the um, cameras, the you know uh, um, electric, you know everything else, you know, and the officers cost a significant amount of money to pay these officers. So, you know, what, where you end up living in prison is just a tiny little box. Yeah. Like your bathroom's probably bigger than my entire cell. Yeah. I've seen some of those cells on TV. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. a bunk bed, a sink and a toilet. And there's, and I remember somebody mentioning you really have to negotiate your relationship with your cellmate because the two of you can't be doing stuff at the same time because you'll just be bumping into each other and that can result in tension. And <laughs> right. Well, and in the low, you don't even have the toilet and sink. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that's yeah. even worse there. So you've got 180 guys trying to share six toilets. Jesus. You know, um, or, or eight showers, six toilets. Um, well, they, and they have, they'll have like four or five urinals. I mean, there's typically a line at, at any given time of the day. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's basically like a, a public restroom. It, it is a public restroom for 180 guys trying to do it, you know? So uh, yeah, it's not, not a great life. I don't, no. I don't recommend it. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like you, you look at the Shawshank redemption and your Dufresne practically had a penthouse suite compared to real prison cells it was his own room and with the bed and everything. And it's not like that at all. Yeah. I remember when, remember when the, the, um, when the warden yells at him and says, I'll, I'll yank you out of that penthouse suite that your one man penthouse sweep and put you in with the sodomites. And he must've been thinking, Ooh, I better do something. <laughs> I better not make too much of a fuss. I got a, I got a hole halfway burrowed through the wall. Yeah, I can't get removed from my. I can't have this guy remove me from the. From yeah, the yeah. Room. Oh, by the way, I found out about the science behind you know the sewage pipe. Apparently, you you wouldn't survive because the methane would it would blind you, and uh, there's other gases as well. But yeah, you wouldn't survive. You'd have to wear like a gas mask to get all the way through that. And it, was a, it was it was a great scene though. It was a great scene. It's true. There's actually, I remember there's one funny story out of Mexico. This guy, he dug a hole in his uh, cell wall, got away with it. But then when he finally reached the other side, it turned out it was just another part of the prison. And there were guards standing right there and he got busted. Mm. Wasted all that time. So so what are you going to, what, what is the next one you're going to, did I already ask you this? What was the next, what are you working on now? You told me what you're working on now. Yeah, the Cannibal Boone Helm. Right. Um, the next one, I'm not sure yet, but there's a lot of possibilities. One thing I was looking at today was honor killings. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's, but then again, you know, a lot of these, these cases where I look at sociological uh, issues relating to violent crime, they don't often get as good a response as the regular, you know, serial killer, child abuse stuff. Like... Um, they have a big crisis in Africa when it comes to rape. That's a huge problem there. And I did an episode about it and that wasn't as popular as many of the other episodes. Same thing with the one about elder abuse. It's just, uh, I don't know. They don't seem to, 
whether if it's a historical or sociological, they don't seem to be as drawn to that. What about, I saw a America's Most Wanted where a father, he was from like Iran or Iraq or something. He had killed both of his daughters in the United States. He moved to the United States, married a, uh, an American woman, had two daughters with her. He wanted to, he wanted to trade or, or arrange a marriage to, the girl was young. She was 15 or 16 years old. He wanted to arrange a marriage to her to a, a like an Iranian or some, a rich Iranian who was like 45 years old in Iran. And she was saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going over there. I'm not going to marry the guy. And he ends up killing her and her sister, her and her sister. He was a cab driver. They were looking for him. And I'd seen this America's Most Wanted. He was gone. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah, that probably was an honor killing. Oh, it was definitely an honor killing. They, they said it was an honor killing. Well, my understanding of the whole honor concept as it, as it, uh, pertains to life in those countries is that so say your daughter does do something like that uh basically you lose friends people if you own a business people won't shop at the business it's like a it really pulls a shroud over your entire life uh not that it not that it justifies the honor killings by any stretch of the imagination but they bring that belief here with them thinking oh she wouldn't marry that guy or she's wearing like uh you know revealing clothing or whatever she's she has boyfriends she's shaming my family they they can't snap out of that so yeah it's i mean that's happened in canada too there's been a couple of honor killings here it's happened in england um that's you know a lot of those people have a hard time adjusting to life in the west for sure it, it, insane it's insane yeah, one thing that was kind of harrowing was um, the acid attack victims. So in Pakistan, a guy might ask a girl to marry him, but she might say no. Well, then he might come around later with a, a little canister of like muriatic acid, hydrochloric acid, throw it in her face. And then usually they're just totally disfigured because the skin will melt like something out of a horror movie. And their lives are just ruined. They're, not only will they never get married, but, you know, a single woman in a place like that doesn't do well. Mm. Um, and, of course, and then there's being judged by people because of the way they look. So, yeah, it's um, the, those are interesting stories to me. But uh, most of my audience doesn't seem to want to hear about it. And, and actually, you mentioned fraud before. That interests me as well. Like, that's a kind of crime that really pisses me off. But my audience wouldn't want to hear about fraud. Like, I think... I think Jordan Belfort is a douchebag that I like the movie, um, the Wolf of Wall Street, but I think it, I think it kind of um, sugarcoated his legacy. I think it portrayed him as a, as a cool guy and a better person than he really was. Cause you know, people, senior citizens lost their life savings because of that guy. It was all, it was all scam. So I'm, you know, I don't, and people just generally tried to rip people off, but that's not a hugely popular topic in true crime, unfortunately. Right. Where'd you get your shirt? My shirt. Oh, they, I just ordered that from on. It was online. It was like a Hawaiian shirt company with skulls uh, on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I even have like a black, like tropical uh, tree shirt as well. They make, they don't just make uh, Hawaiian shirts like the one weird Al wears anymore. They've gotten more creative. 
Okay. Um, anything else, you know, anything you want to uh, talk about or pitch or. Um, see, in terms of pitching, well, you know, I release episodes every Monday or Tuesday on the download platforms. Um, they come out a little earlier on YouTube. So quite often on the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, there will certainly be more to come more, a lot more where that came from. Do you have a, a, a Patreon? I do. Um, though I'm encouraging people now to donate money to um, what's called Human Monsters Premium, where they can get things like uh, bonus episodes and uh, other rewards where, for joining. Whereas with Patreon, they make donations and that's nice. But with Human Monsters Premium, they actually get some things in return. Right. Yeah. Well, with Patreon, you can, you can uh, like, well, I have a Patreon. I upload all my videos um, like a week or two early. So yeah. your Patreon, you get it, you get advanced access. And I also do things like I, I have different tiers, like depending on what tier you're on, you might get, you know, every, I, I have one tier where every, uh, every once a month, you know, I give them a painting, like a, a painting of a con man. And I did Jordan Belfort. And that's next month. Oh, really? You're, you're, you interviewed him? No, no. I just have, oh, a about to. I have a painting of him. Oh, painting. Oh, okay. Right. So I issue a painting. I So once a month, you get a painting, a little yeah. tiny. So it's a small painting about the, for, of different con men. So it's, oh. it's, that's for Patreon. Um, so, but you're, you're doing yours through, is, is your, is yours through a uh, YouTube or is it? Uh, you, the Patreon is just a standard thing at the Patreon site um, for later. Uh, I think it's for later one studios, but they donate it because of human monsters, uh, human monsters premium. The link is usually included in the episodes of the show. Hey, I appreciate you guys checking me out. And if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. So you get notified, leave me a comment and share the video and I really appreciate it. Uh, look in the description and um, I will have all the links that we talked about in the description. And if you want, by all means, go to my Patreon and join my Patreon. Or if you like the video, you can hit the thank button. YouTube has a thank button now, so you can hit the thank button. And I appreciate that. And I will see you.